Welcome to Women on the Verge of a Financial Breakthrough, a podcast where we're figuring out finance one dumb question at a time. I'm the dummy, Caitlin Meredith, a coach and mediator based in the Bay Area, and... I'm Sarah Glakis. I'm an investor, advisor, and founder of Black Barn Financial and the Austin Women's Investing Group, which can be found on Meetup and Facebook. Hey, before we start, Sarah and I want to do an episode on passive income. Do you have a passive income story, a big success, or even better, a big fail? Would you tell your story in a voice memo and then email it to us at womenontheverge.podcast at gmail.com? Thanks. So today we're going to talk about something we have, I don't think we've ever talked about it. I don't think we talked about it all last season. Uh, Spoiler alert, it's credit. What the fuck is credit and why is it so important and yet I don't know anything about it. And so we have a guest because uh, Sarah knows somebody who knows all about credit. So Matt, do you want to say your full name, Matt Schultz, and your whole name and what your deal is and why you're so smart about credit? (laughs) Sure. Um, well, th- first of all, thanks for having me. It's it's great to be here. Uh, my my name is Matt Schultz, and my official title is Chief Credit Analyst at Lending Tree. But essentially, what I am is like personal finance expert guy for for Lending Tree. My focus has primarily been helping people make smart decisions about getting credit and using it wisely. And I talk primarily about credit cards and personal loans and that sort of stuff. Not not so much about mortgages and and that sort of thing. But um, I, I also do spend a lot of time talking about credit, credit scoring, and also just kind of consumer debt sort of issues. So that's kind of, uh, that's kind of my wheelhouse. And you're writing a book about credit right now, or you already wrote it? I am, I am in the process of, of writing a book about, uh, it's, it's largely about questions that can help people save money, earn money, and keep a little bit more of their money in everyday situations. And it, including everything from, you know, splitting the bill at a group dinner so you don't get stuck paying, you know, two thirds of it. <laughs> my God, we need a whole episode about that. <laughs> oh my God, we have a lot to talk about there. People tend to overthink credit for one thing. People think that it's a little more complicated at a base level than it actually really is. Really, it's about doing some simple things over and over and over again. And your credit's going to be generally just fine. Um, but, uh, but people do tend to overthink and kind of get intimidated a little bit by the idea of credit. It's so funny that you call it overthinking because I think I do a lot of underthinking about credit. <laughs> like I will not think about credit because I don't understand it. And I don't really like it seems like one of those like a lot of things in capitalism, completely invented systems that you happen to miss that day of civics and you're like, oh, I guess I don't understand credit that was made up by a bunch of people making up rules, like a a literal game that there's a score for, but you can't really opt out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the first thing that people need to understand about credit is that consumers aren't who credit was created for. Credit was created because banks and lenders want to know who is a risky person to lend to and who is not. So the primary customers and the primary people that credit companies, credit bureaus, credit scoring formula companies are beholden to are lenders not consumers. Once people kind of understand that, it it clarify it can clarify some things a little bit. And the analogy I always make as a as a dad who the 16 year old who we just we just bought my son's first car this past weekend, so it's a whole thing. I compare credit to borrowing the car keys from your parents. So the the first time you borrow the car keys from your mom and dad they're going to put all sorts of restrictions on you, make all sorts of rules, not let you drive anywhere outside of like a mile from the house and make sure that you are, <laughs> you keep in straight and narrow. But if you do that 
successfully, and then 10 more times you would come back, you meet curfew, you fill up the tank, you don't have scratches on the car. The 10th, 15th, 20th time they borrow the car keys, it's not really going to be any big deal. And that's, that's a lot of what credit is about. It's just proving to lenders that you can handle your business if they lend you money. Okay, so the first question I had for you is what the fuck is credit? And I feel like your analogy, like eventually we got there that it's like uh, credit is like the your standing, whether it be good or bad, with people that might give you some money. And it yeah. means that how how good of a bet are you that you'll pay us the money back that we're going to lend to you? Yeah, yeah. All those formulas, the point of those formulas is so the Nissan dealer that we bought my son's little Ford Fusion at can know how likely or can feel comfortable about how likely we are to be able to pay them back with the financing. But wait a second. I get I get that. I get what you're saying. But and this is I'm getting ahead, but I can't stop because so many people are in crazy credit card debt that they should never have been allowed to take all that money with insane interest rates. So it feels like a setup to fail at the credit test. I know you said we're not talking about mortgages right now. We won't go there. But like so many people when interest rates were really low qualified for much bigger mortgages than they should reasonably take given like financial insecurity, the instability of the market, whatever. Like they shouldn't have taken those, but the banks were willing to give it to them. Sure. And so it seems like a double, it's like they use a credit score against you, but then they also can use it to set you up to get in a situation that actually, realistically, you can't get out of financially. Well, it's it's not so much using it against you. I mean, they, they the banks in most times want to lend. Um, and they want to find more customers out there who are responsible and who they think will pay them back. The other point that you make is is kind of a separate one almost, where one thing that I always say is that just because somebody will lend you money doesn't mean that you should take it. And, and that's true in the credit card space where that 100,000 point sign up bonus that you really want. It sounds great, but it doesn't mean that you should take it if you don't feel comfortable managing that card. There definitely is some responsibility on the consumer side for saying no sometimes. Yes, absolutely, positively, banks should be more responsible sometimes about who they lend to and recognize the situation that people are in. But the truth is that consumers need to be willing to say no as well and understand, again, that just because somebody will lend you money doesn't mean that you should take it. I understand that. And Sarah and I have talked about this before that I get really confused. Like I'm like, apply for a mortgage, apply for a loan, apply for a credit card. I'm like, it feels like an audition. Am I good enough for them to accept me? And if I am, then I feel like I've passed through this rigorous test that they have rationally analyzed if I can handle it. And if they have, that's the test, but that's not independent of the testing we need to do of ourselves, of what what the limits of what we can safely, how we can sleep at night (laughs) with how leveraged we are. But the other thing that I'm getting from this is that the problem with not paying back right when you're supposed to, or when you've agreed to, is one interest, you're going to pay more money than you would have otherwise. But the other is that you're being graded on how well you do it. So you're both spending more and you're getting you're negatively impacting your score. So it's a double whammy. It's not just you owe a nickel more. It's you owe a nickel more and I might not lend it to you the next time or you'll have a bad grade on it too. No, that's that's 100% correct. And that ding that you take to your credit um, will cost you or can cost you hundreds or thousands of dollars um, 
over the course of your life. Because one of the things I've said it a million times in interviews, there are very few things in life that are more expensive than crummy credit because it's going to cost you thousands and thousands of dollars in a mortgage. It can cost you hundreds or more on car loans and credit cards. It can keep you from getting the getting an apartment that you want. It can raise your insurance premiums. It touches all aspects of our lives practically. And it's, it's one of those things that isn't always really important, but when it is important, it's really, really, really important. Yeah, that is definitely my experience that I can swan around my whole life never knowing what my credit score is. Not, but the second I wanted to buy my car or, you know, then I'm like, wait, what is a credit score? How does that work? And I needed to know exactly where I sent there. But it didn't really occur. I thought of it as a black and white, like either my credit's good enough to qualify for a car loan or it's not. But are you saying that like, if your credit is bad in a certain way, you might still get a car loan, but it'll be a much shittier loan. Your interest rate will be higher. Yes, absolutely. They're they're like, oh, you had trouble paying this last thing. Oh, you're going to have to pay more for this thing then. It doesn't make sense. From the bank's perspective, it does because they're all about managing their own risk. And if they're lending you money and you stumbled over the last thing you borrowed, they're concerned that they're not going to get paid back. So they end up charging you more money um, to protect themselves. It stinks, it the stinks end, for the consumer, but I mean, from the bank's standpoint, that's, that's business. But is it good business? I mean, this is beyond the scope of this, but I'm curious, if you then give me a, a, an interest rate that's so high I'm destined to fail, don't, isn't that bad for them too? Whereas if they gave me one that I could be more successful with that was lower, it would be good for both of us? Like how many years would you have to be paying them off the really high interest rate before you just like lost your job and then fell off completely? Well, here, here's, here's the thing. You have, it's like you said, it's not kind of all or nothing. Within credit, within mortgages, within car loans, within any type of loans, you also have lenders who may specialize in lending to people who don't have great credit. Or you may have credit, you certainly have credit cards that are targeted towards folks who have really good credit, spend a ton of money, and all that sort of thing. It's important for folks to understand where they stand. But it's also kind of important for them to understand that bad credit isn't a life sentence. Sarah's nodding vigorously at that point. I'm assuming you've had that come up with clients, Sarah. Yes. I mean, I think it's come up with clients and in the Austin Women's Investing Group as well. And I'd love to hear more about what Matt's experience is, because I think there's often this sense that it's a system that you can't learn and that you can't dig out from. And sometimes that is the case. But I don't know, I like to think of credit as it's another tool in your toolbox. And you can get better at using the tool through education and knowledge and time, right? Time can work to your advantage. Like Matt said, pay your bills on time, get a track record, and your credit score will improve. And that is something that you can do regardless of you know, what the stock market is doing or, you know, like what's happening in other areas of, you know, investing or kind of your day-to-day life. If you just commit to paying the bills, you can get that positive wealth effect simply from raising your credit score, getting better offers to refinance your debt, refinancing at a lower rate, being able to pay more. That is the type of thing, like Matt said, that that I do think can change lives and make a situation that seems impossible to get out of, it makes it possible. But you do have to kind of know how it works, I think, especially from the lender's perspective. Yeah. And again, the idea of it not being kind of a lifelong penalty is important to understand because there are plenty of things out there that cater to folks who are either brand new to credit or who have done some damage to their credit and just need to 
kind of get their feet back under them again. Um, there are cards out there that have just bananas interest rates that no one should ever pay. But what those cards do is they give an opportunity to people who have wrecked their credit to make payments and to see their credit score edge up from 580 to 620. Credit comes down to kind of doing the right things over and over and over again, lather, rinse, repeat for, for a long time. You know what's so crazy? I um, uh, So I worked in Africa a long time and I've worked with a lot of refugees and a family that I'm very close to. In Austin, when they first came um, in 2007, and I was sort of showing them the ropes for a lot of things in American society that I had never thought about before. You know, anything from like, what is breakfast cereal to how do you save for a car loan, you know, for a car. And they paid for everything in cash. They earned money through their jobs and paid through cash, which I thought was like, that's amazing. You're living within your means. And I had to sort of learn through um other people that they needed to start not paying in cash for everything because they had no credit then and so even though they were being like extraordinarily financially responsible in everything they did were not leveraged fancy word in any way they had their the advice the social worker was to like lease a tv or like have some contract that I was raised to like completely disapprove of. Like you do not buy something that you don't have the money for all to be players in this larger system so that they want it when they did want to have, get, buy something that, you know, a house or something like that, that they would be able to have credit. It sounds crazy. It does until you again kind of take it back to the, the purpose of credit, which is helping lenders know who is safe to lend to. And if you've yeah. never and if you've never borrowed from anybody, you don't have any track record, you don't know you don't know how you're going to do. Um, it's like the the new kid on the basketball team who nobody's seen play. You don't know if the kid can shoot or not, but okay. in, until you uh, until you put them in and play. Um, so, so there is certainly that. There is definite risk in getting credit just for credit's sake, depending on what type of credit you get. I always recommend that folks get what's called a secured credit card when they're starting off with credit. And what a secured credit card is, is it functions pretty much exactly the same as any other credit card but you have to put a little security deposit down to get it. So if you put $250 down with Capital One or whoever, um, that sets your credit limit on that credit card as $250. And you can use that card the way you would any other credit card. And if you use $200 this month, pay it off, your credit limit resets to $250. It's not like it's a prepaid card or something like that. So with, with something like that, that's kind of an ideal way to start because it, it, it minimizes the risk for everybody. Mom and dad don't have to put down a ton of money to get it started. The kid can only go so crazy spending the bank has zero risk at all because they've got your security deposit and if you don't pay, they just keep the deposit. And with that card, you can use it and use it responsibly and start building your credit slowly. And another thing that I always recommend for folks who are just getting started is that they can do something like just putting a Netflix subscription or a Spotify subscription on that one card that they have and set up auto pay to pay that recurring, that little recurring subscription. That way, even if you never use the card any other way, you're building a track record of being responsible paying that card off while avoiding debt at the same time. So you don't have to go out of your way to 
lease a bunch of crap you didn't you don't need you don't want just to get your like on the credit map you can set it up in a way that it's cover you're building credit while just covering your normal expenses assuming you can rein yourself in like that's a big part of it yes. um and so you're building credit just spending your money in a more creative way like instead of it going from your debit card it goes onto a credit card but it's still the money you're not spending money you don't have still Yes. Yeah, exactly. And there, there are training wheels, credit cards, and, and I mean, you, you can think of it like if you go to the bowling alley with your kid and the bumpers <laughs> come up in the gutters, right? You, you can't really make a mistake. A secured credit card is a, is a really good way to start. And not just for folks who are new to it, not just for college students, but for folks who may have uh, may have made mistakes and can't get any other credit and want to start kind of building themselves up again. This idea of the trajectory of your credit score. Uh, first, what's the lowest credit score? Oh yeah, what's the range? Um, 300, 350, I'm embarrassed. I should, I should know that off the top of my head. The top of it is, is 850. And I think it's, it's either three or 350. Okay, and so if, in the past, you had a 350 credit score, and now you have an 800 credit score. Do lenders look back in time to see your history, or do they only care what your score is now? That's a, that's a good question. Um, to, well, to start with, you have to really have messed up pretty substantially to get to the very, very bottom of the credit spectrum. The average American's credit score is a little over 700. Um, so, so you really do have to have made some mistakes or what, whatever the circumstances was, bad things have to have been done to really get your credit to that level. We're starting to see credit scoring companies look at what they call trended data. So looking back to see um, what your, um, you know, what your balances were, what your information was six months ago versus what they are now and integrating that into their formulas to kind of give people credit for improving themselves, but also to kind of knock people down who may have been kind of headed the other direction. And again, that's something that lenders would want to know too, um, because that's that's often a signal of something. So generally speaking, your credit score is kind of a snapshot of a moment in time, or traditionally has been kind of a snapshot of that particular moment in time. And there aren't really places that I know of um, where you can go back and like the Wayback Machine online, you can't go back to October of 2019 and see what your what your credit score was then. But what lenders are starting to do more is to look at that data on your credit report on a trended basis to see whether things are getting better, things are getting worse, whatever, and factoring that into their scores as well. What date range would be in that? Is that like over the past year, two years, your entire life? Like, what do they have access to? I have this idea that it's seven years. I have no idea what that's from. Seven years is how long a negative mark lasts on your credit report. So if you pay late for 30, if you're 30 days late with a payment, it's going to generally stick on your credit report for seven years. It gets progressively less impactful on your score as those seven years go along, but it stays there for seven years. Good information stays for 10, so oh. doing us a solid yeah. that way. <laughs> but, um, but in terms of trended data, exactly what the, what the time frame is, I'm not 100% sure. I, I don't know the answer to that question. I, I know for certain that it's not like the lifetime of your experience. Um, but I, I don't know specifically what the time frames are. So it sounds like things that happened more recently have higher weightings. And the highest impact is paying your bills on time, making payments on time, not missing payments. Can you talk about some of the other 
high impact events that impact your credit score? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the three biggest things that matter to your credit score or the, the three biggest things to keep in mind with your credit score are paying your bills on time every single time, keeping your balance as low as possible, and not applying for too much credit too often. If you do those three things over and over and over again, your credit's going to be just fine. Those balances are the, the second most important thing after, after paying on time. If you have a $3,000 balance on a $10,000 and, and $10, in available credit, your utilization rate is 30%, because 3,000 is 30% of 10,000. And that's what's known as your utilization rate. And that is something that, that lenders track to basically kind of keep an eye on how close you are to maxing out your credit card, that sort of thing. For many years, the rule of thumb has been that you want to keep your utilization rate at 30% or lower. Okay, so wait, let me make sure. The credit card company tells me that I can spend $20,000 a month or $10,000 a month. They say that's your credit limit. And yet I can only pay off 3000 a month. You're underusing the amount that's available to you. Correct. And that's a good thing. And that's a good thing, generally, because it shows that you are that you are responsibly managing that available credit. Using that $10,000 number, if you have eight or $9,000 in debt with a $10,000 credit card balance, then that utilization rate goes up to 80, 90%. That's gonna damage your score. That's something that is pretty significant. You can change both sides of the equation. Obviously, what you want to do is pay down the balance, but if that's not possible, you can also ask your your lender for additional available credit um, to to kind of change that end of the equation. Oh, I see. Okay, so I have seven thousand dollars in debt on my ten thousand limit, and I know that that looks bad for my utilization rate. So I say, can you increase? what I can, my credit limit to 20,000, because at least then the ratio is better, even if I still can't pay it. Yes. Yeah, that <laughs> is. <laughs> yeah. And, and again, that's one of those things that the comes with a giant Everest sized caveat of don't spend, don't it. use the available credit. It's, it's the same thing that we, I talk a lot about balance transfer credit cards where you can take the money from one card where you're getting charged 20% interest and put it on another card and get 0% interest for a year, 18 months, whatever. Those are awesome, except if you just see that new card as an excuse to go spending more and, and running up what you owe. So right. there is always going to be a personal responsibility, a discipline aspect to all of this. And that's that's something that really can't be overlooked. I appreciate that you're highlighting that. And I think like we talk about that all the time. Like what that's why we want to become educated so we know how to be savvy about all this. But I just know of so many scenarios. I also work in criminal defense. The number of women that are in debt because of boyfriends or husbands that they were co-signers on a car loan and someone went, you know, MIA um, or huge medical bills, like just that have level or job loss. Like there are a million I want to say legitimate, like just absolutely out of your control reasons for your credit to be wiped out. Um, you know, getting educated means we know what it means to co-sign with somebody on a loan. Like that is part of what we need to know. Um, but I'm I'm just thinking about the number of people whose credit has been affected by situations or relationships that really was not because of their you know, something they did. It, it even gets more difficult than that to a degree because sometimes there are mistakes on your credit report that are just clerical errors. 
and somebody put something in wrong when they were inputting your information at the credit bureau and they marked you down as having a late payment on a credit card in 2020 that you didn't do. And because you've never paid late, you would not have any real reason to notice, but (laughs) your credit score might have been knocked down 50 plus points because of that payment. There are so many different things that can knock people's credit down and having good credit is really hard. (laughs) Credit's pretty unforgiving for one thing. It's definitely kind of a the bigger they are, the harder they fall sort of thing where if you have an 800 credit score and you're late with a payment, your score is likely or could potentially drop farther than it would if you had a 650 credit score because you're going from really, really good to, wow, that was a big mistake. Now we have to mark you down as opposed to one mistake alongside a series of of a few others. What Caitlin brought up about like co-signing on a loan, because one of the questions I had was kind of in the the game people play to increase their credit score. I think I've heard about the tactic of adding a user, like maybe a user with no credit, adding that user to your card so that they can basically piggyback off of your credit score, assuming, okay, my credit score is good. Um, my daughter's doesn't have any credit. Do you think that people should add folks as users to their credit cards? And does it work? It's absolutely a legitimate strategy. And it definitely can work. You need to make the decision about how the person you're making the authorized user will be able to access that card. So if you are mom and dad putting your teenager because it's it's one of the few things that you can do for somebody who is under 18 you can add them to your card but it's important that you make the decision either to add them to the card and just not give them the card to kind of protect everybody involved or you add them to the card give them the card and make absolutely sure that you have a conversation laying out the responsibility of what happens when somebody spends money on that card and just make sure that you know what the expectations that that everybody involved knows what the expectations are because the maybe the most important thing for people to know about authorized users is that the authorized user legally bears no responsibility for paying those balances back. They have no skin in the game. Correct. So like they walk away and their credit isn't affected negatively either. If Or is it? If something goes wrong with the card, then it would be affected negatively. But okay. it's something that can wreck relationships. Yeah. Um, and can really drive some wedges in some families. So it really is important that you trust the person that you are making an authorized user, because if you don't, the consequences can be pretty significant. You know, we're talking about how to get good credit. We want to pay all our stuff off. We want to, you know, be good financial citizens, only uh buy what we can afford, all that, all the best case scenario that counts on financial stability, you know, just uh, health, you know, a bunch of different factors that we may or may not have control of, um, depending on our circumstances. Curious about the families or the individuals that are like, I was, everything was going great. I lost my job. I'm not going to be able to pay my credit card. I'm uh, someone got cancer. Someone had to go to the ER three. Like I, in this moment, have accrued debt unexpectedly that I cannot pay. So we're not talking about like repairing credit down the line. We're like in this moment, my credit card statement is tomorrow and I can't pay it. Like, is there anything people can do to mitigate 
the damage that's being done in real time. I mean, I know my reaction is just to not open the envelope, not look at the little <laughs> red notifications, just be like, put my head down because you're so, yeah, hand over eyes, because I'd be so afraid. Like, I can't do what they're asking me to do. And so my tendency might be to hide and run away from it. I'm curious for those of us who might be brave enough to be like, help. What could we do in the moment while it's all happening to make it less bad? Well, I mean, it's it's a little bit like we've all probably told our kids, right? I mean, as soon as you know that there's a problem, tell somebody. And and it's really the similar thing with with what you just described. And we saw it on a global scale in 2020. Um, as everybody lost their job in the span of a month. And what can happen is that you can call your credit card issuer, you can call whatever lender and say, look, this just happened to me. I just lost my job. My income just reduced by 50%. We just had this huge medical bill because of X, Y, Z. Is there anything you can do to help me out in, in the short term? And the truth is most lenders will have some sort of program that offers them some options that they can give to you to help you get through that short-term issue, whether it's being able to skip a payment or two, boosting your credit limit to give you a little bit more room to work with, giving you a slightly lower interest rate, waiving fees, stuff like that. If you know that you're in some financial trouble, and especially if it's just of kind of the short-term variety, call your issuer, call your lender and let them know. And don't be afraid to be vulnerable with them and say, this is kind of what we're going through. Because even though, you know, banks are this giant faceless, you know, monoliths that can be really intimidating, it's just another person on the other end of that line. Those folks are in those roles, at least to a degree, knowing that they're going to get calls from people who need help. It's so relieving to hear that because I think in my mind, it's like a binary, like the less communication, the better, because any communication would be like, you owe us this money, you need to pay up. And I'd be like, but I don't have the money. And I wouldn't want to let them know I didn't have the money. So I have to reverse that, that actually more communication in this situation can help you and that it isn't so black and white. Like they do have some options Yes, uh, that could at least in the short term ease whatever the the next biggest deadline is for you. Yeah, I mean, if you if you were just with your buddies in Vegas and you lost the mortgage, then that's one thing. But if you lost your job and uh, you know, or your your wife or your kid just went into the hospital and you got a truckload of bills that you know are waiting, um, that's that's something else. Okay, can I run past some? I don't know if they're myths, like things that I've heard about credits. Yep. If you check your score, it makes it go down. That is definitely a myth. People should check their credit score as often as they want to, and it's a good thing. And in fact, if you check your credit score, it can be a really good indicator of whether you've been a victim of fraud. Because if somebody opens an account in your name, and you never see it, but they run up $10,000 in debt and never pay it off, that is going to go on your credit report and damage your credit score. If you see a significant drop in your credit score, it's a, it's a really good idea to check your credit report. So there's no downside for checking your own credit score? No. Okay. And literally, how do you check your credit? I don't, like, how do you, what, what do you do? What does that mean? There are two different aspects of it. There's checking your credit score, um, which you can do at lots and lots of sites. You can, if you sign up at LendingTree, you can get your um, your Vantage score, credit score, and you can track your, your TransUnion credit report on a regular basis. Um, a lot of credit card issuers will provide you with a credit score if you log into their websites. But if you're talking about getting a credit report, where you need to go is a site called annualcreditreport.com. And that site is the 
federal government mandated, no strings attached site where you can go and you can get your credit report from all three of the major bureaus, Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion, and review that report to see what's in there. As much as a credit score is a good thing and a useful thing, all it really is is a grade for what's in your credit report. The most meaningful way and the way to have the biggest impact on your credit score is to use your credit report as a guide and to see I have a lot of these accounts or I owe a big balance on this one account or wow, that uh, that says that there was a late payment there. I didn't make that or wow, there's an account on this that I don't recognize. And so all of those sorts of things and a thousand other things can impact your credit score but you won't really know about it until you look at your credit report. And one of the good things that came out of all of the financial chaos of the pandemic is that you can now check your credit report at annualcreditreport.com on a weekly basis. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. It used to be annual, right? Like once a year for free and now it's weekly? Yeah, exactly. Honestly, nobody needs to check their credit report once a week, but just the fact that you can do it is great and can be really helpful. Okay, here's another thing I heard and I acted on it, so I just want to let you know. <laughs> <laughs> the stakes are big. So I heard that one of, if you only do one thing with your credit is to freeze it so that you can't be a victim of identity theft. So over Thanksgiving, I Googled the top four credit bureaus and I went through for myself and my parents and froze all of our credit. Necessary, appropriate, advised. Depending on your circumstance, it can be fine. Um, if you're not planning on getting credit anytime soon, there's there really aren't many reasons to not do it. Um, it's, it's essentially the, the nuclear option when it comes to fighting identity theft and credit card fraud and all that sort of thing. Because what it does is it slams the door shut on anybody being able to access your credit report. If somebody used your name or your information to try and get credit fraudulently, in theory, they wouldn't be able to do it because you have a credit freeze. The conventional wisdom had been previously was that you needed to be cautious about um, getting them if you were planning to apply for credit fairly soon because it could take a little bit of time to thaw the freeze. Yeah. But now these things happen so quickly that it's less of an issue. So yeah, on each of the ones I did, there's a little toggle switch where you're just like freeze, unfreeze, freeze, unfreeze. So it, with all four, it didn't seem like it would be a big deal. I just log back on and say unfreeze if I'm applying for something and then go back and freeze. So I have to say it was a pretty easy process. Yeah, that's that's something that has changed over the years, and that's that's a good thing. Are you shocked, Sarah, that I did that? <laughs> that's what you did over Thanksgiving? That was my family bonding. Yeah, it was like, <laughs> we're freezing. You know, I just feel like um, my parents, who are totally savvy and have managed their finance, with the internet, texting, with the amount of scams that are going on all around us, where I can barely tell if I should respond to something, if it's actually my bank calling to verify, or if it's a scam, that it's it's really hard to protect ourselves from identity theft and just being scammed, like giving someone our information. And I just wanted for all of us to have like a layer of protection so that somebody can't open a credit card or get a loan in our names. I think of credit as just something that like I don't need unless I'm doing something big. And so I, ha I hadn't focused on it at all. But the idea that someone else could ruin my credit or some other thing that would take and people who've had identity that likes talk about years to prove they are who they are and that they didn't open these credit cards. So I've been influenced by that. Yeah, there, there's just so much money involved. And there's so much opportunity for bad guys. And there's so much data out there that can be used to get at that money that 
the the problem of identity theft and fraud is never ever going to go away and it's something that that we just need to uh, doing something like a credit freeze is a good idea even just kind of integrating fraud checks into your weekly monthly whatever financial routine is a really good idea too and it's it's really just as simple as when you sit down and do your bills, check your um, online statements for your bank account, your credit card, your savings account, whatever, and just look through and see that there's nothing on there that looks unusual to you. The first time you do it, it may take a while because you got to cover a lot of ground. But if you're doing it once a week, once a month, whatever, it's pretty quick because there's only so many transactions that we all do. And so there's only so much to review, but it's it's definitely worth your time. Um, I have three more quick ones. Sure. I'll tell you the way that I'm using my credit card right now. And then, and I'm influenced by YNAB, you need a budget, their whole thinking that you never leave a balance. So, you know, whenever my credit card payment is due, let's say December 1st, I pay everything that is outstanding, not what they tell me in the statement. I just like every dollar I've spent up into, including December 1st, I pay them. They're not lending me money that I spent from before. It makes sense for me uh, psychologically, financially, just so I know that I'm always paying it off completely. Does it matter in terms of credit if you just pay the bare minimum? Is there any strategizing if you have the money? The short answer is that what you're doing is good because you're not accruing any interest. And that's really the biggest thing. What you're doing is also good because if you can knock that balance down to zero, that's good for your for your credit score. The answer really is the job number one for anyone with a credit card is to pay their balance down as soon as they possibly can. If you can't pay it all down in full every single month, then you should pay as much as you can. And you should certainly pay the amount that if you don't pay that amount, you'll get charged interest going forward. Some people argue that it can make sense to pay multiple times in a month. Like you pay on the 15th, you pay on the 30th. The idea being that when that snapshot of your credit is taken, if you pay twice, Odds are that the balance is going to be lower than it would be if you only paid once. So that may be something that kind of goes into it. But what's most important is just making sure that you're paying on time and you're paying such that you are not causing any interest to accrue. Everything else is kind of gravy. We have talked about bankruptcy and we, I think we'll do a whole episode on bankruptcy. And Sarah, I'm going to paraphrase here that like people are really afraid of it. They would almost do anything to avoid that. But that like in some people's financial circumstances, it really might make sense to start over that way. I'm curious the impact on credit then. If you just are in a hole you cannot get out of and decide that bankruptcy is right for you and your family. Does it ruin your credit forever? Is it seven years? What is, what's something people can think about or, or try to get more educated about in terms of credit? Yeah, first of all, I would never claim to be a bankruptcy expert. So starting with, starting okay. with that, I, I can talk to it through the, through the lens of credit, but beyond that, it's a little, it's a little beyond what I do. The short answer is that bankruptcy will like wreck your credit. If you have talked to advisors and you've spoken with professionals and their advice is that this is something that works for you, that's fine. It's, you know, credit can be something that factors into that decision, but there are lots of other things that go into it. There are times in life where even if you know that something that you have to do isn't good for your credit, you still have to do it anyway. And a lot of people are seeing this now where we did a survey talking about how people are struggling to pay utility bills because those costs are going so high. And if the question is, should I pay my utility bill and keep the lights on, in Austin, Texas in February, 
and certainly in Madison, Wisconsin, and Boston, Massachusetts in February, even if that means I won't be able to pay my credit card off, pay your utility bill. Same thing as if you can't, if you're not sure you'll be able to put food on the table or things like that. As important as credit is, sometimes credit doesn't matter as much as just handling your business in life. And I think that that's a really important thing for folks to understand. Yeah, I, I, yeah, obviously, like we're survival is first and figuring out our financial standing. But I, it also sounds like whatever we destroy, we can rebuild. <laughs> it might take years, but there are things like secured credit cards where you can build up. People have done it, um, and so not to just think you've blown it forever. And you need to live in a, you know, shame in a dark cloud. Like there's a million ways people's credit can get destroyed for things beyond their control. But it's not the end of the story. It is not the end of the story. With something like bankruptcy, I'm not going to sugarcoat and say that that's something that you can that you can awake from pretty easily because it's not. Because it's, yeah. it's a really big deal. But again... Credit isn't always the prime factor. Matt, I'm curious. I know that people with bad credit, I feel like it's such a ripe area for scams. You referred to, you know, companies that say that will repair your credit and you pay them money or whatever. If When you're advising people where to learn about how to improve their credit, what are some sources that are trusted, either websites or a book or a personality they can Google on YouTube? I just feel like people need to know what like are legitimate sources of information about improving their credit scores. Yeah, I mean, obviously I'm a little biased. I'm going to say that, and it's true, we've got a ton of information on credit scoring and such um, at Lending Tree. Oh, at Lending Tree. And if, okay. and if you, you sign up for our site, you can, um, you can get suggestions that will um, they'll, uh, help you build your credit, and you can kind of keep an eye on your, your score as you go. Stepping out from that, you can go to the credit bureaus, Experian, Equifax and TransUnion all have volumes of information as super basic as you want to get or as nitty gritty as you want to get um, in terms of credit score information. You can go to myfico.com and, um, and see information from the folks who created the FICO score, which um, is still basically the gold standard for credit scoring. There's Vantage Score, which is kind of the Pepsi to FICO's Coke um, in, the, <laughs> in the credit scoring space. And, um, and they'll have a ton of information there as well. But then you can also go to credit card issuers. There's, there's a lot of information. It's, as, as anybody who spent 10 seconds on the internet knows, there's a million sources yeah, of information. But yeah. going to the source and hearing from the folks whose business it is to educate folks on this um, is, is really the best way to go. The other place that I would add would be the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, the federal government consumer watchdog website. They've got helpful information in there uh, as well. I thought you were going to say TikTok. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's, it's funny, you know, as a guy who's a little older than I care to admit, and is certainly older than the, the TikTok demo, I'd never really spent that much time in there until kind of looking for information, researching my book, looking for people to maybe talk to about various things. And to be perfectly honest, there was more decent information on TikTok than I expected there to be. God knows there's a lot of garbage. That, that, yeah. that, is, that is absolutely, make, make no mistake about that. But there are people on there who are giving information that is, that is useful. It can be hard to kind of know what's what. Weed out. Yeah. When everybody is popping up in your timeline, you're like, I don't know. But coming from an outsider standpoint, somebody who talks about this stuff for a living, not on TikTok, I was a little surprised to see that there was a little more good quality stuff on there than I expected there to be. Does, I, I couldn't give you a ratio of like 90% crap to 10% good or whatever, right. but the, the percentage good was a little higher than I expected it to be. Surprise, surprise. 
Sarah, what's your last question? Sarah's going, really? Yeah. <laughs> That's I all mean, crap. That was the shock at the, at the end there. I was not expecting that. Caitlin and I do something. It's like, what's one thing a woman on the verge can do today to make a positive financial impact in her life? If you had to pick one and be the person who talks about the the one thing someone can do today, what would you suggest as the takeaway from from this talk, whether we already talked about it or not? We haven't talked about it, but it's it's super duper simple as it relates to credit. And it is um, set up auto pay on all of your credit cards tonight. Auto pay isn't perfect. Sometimes technology messes up, but there's nothing more important to your credit than paying your bills on time every single time and setting up auto pay Ideally, not setting it up to just pay the minimum, but paying some sort of predetermined amount that you can tweak on a regular basis if you want to is a really big deal because we've all got to-do lists that are a mile long. And if we know that life goes crazy and we forget to pay our credit card bill, but we know that we've set up auto pay, we're set. How do you do that, though, if it's a variable amount? That's what I was saying, where you kind of pick the number that you're okay with as, as kind of the, the one amount and, and kind of go from there. It doesn't mean that you never go back to check auto pay. Maybe right. if you have it as $100 and you go back in every month and say, okay, wow, it looks like I charged $500 this month. Let me bump that up. Um, that sort of thing that can um, that's that can be a way to do it and and different issuers may treat auto pay a little differently where they may give you different options of how much to pay so your your mileage kind of may vary by card issuer but make technology your friend rely on auto pay. And that can really cover up a lot of uh, a lot of ills. That's really good, Matt, because it sounds like if you pay, if you have the auto pay set up to just pay your minimum, the interest expense that you accrue that month where you forgot to pay your credit card bill is probably less than the impact to your credit score. So it's like the it's the safety net. Like, OK, all what we're really trying to do is not miss a payment and most of the time we go and pay our statement in full or whatever you know that looks like but just in the event that you're out of town or you get mixed up or life happens at least the minimum gets paid so you have all those green boxes on your credit score of paying on time exactly as as long as as long as something above the minimum ideally is going to the the card issuer it's going to protect your credit Okay, I like this and I'm going to do it. And I'll tell you, I feel like I should say it in a whisper because life keeps happening and I keep forgetting to pay my balance. But I call them and if it's within 24 to 48 hours, they take the money, they take off the late charge and I don't get any interest for that month. Awesome. Have you done that multiple times? Y yes. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, because I, I, I know Caitlin that, again. <laughs> I mean, frankly, that's one of the one of the things that I'm gonna talk about in my book. I have done a million interviews talking about how seventy percent of folks who ask for a lower interest rate on their credit card get one, but way too few people ever ask. And yeah. and that number is even higher when it comes to getting a late fee waived. It's more like eighty or ninety percent. And the truth is that. Most credit card issuers have policies, whether they're unwritten or otherwise, um, that if you're, you know, if it's your first time late, then all you really need to do is call and ask nicely. Once it gets to be a few more times, there may be an issue there. But yeah, it's it's just really important to, to ask because, I mean, you could talk, I mean, it can be anywhere from 30, 40 bucks. It's 40 bucks and they don't even have to ask their supervisor. Yeah. They just say it's as a one-time courtesy, we'll remove that. I get the money, that money, they take all my money. I mean, I don't mean to do it, everybody. I don't mean to. <laughs> it's just keeping, <laughs> I have Google Calendar alerts. I have all the thing, but sometimes it just, 
it doesn't happen the day of. I realize it the next day. I call and it's okay. That's awesome. One of the things that I've spoken with with people about in the book is, you know, we, we talk about um, auto pay, but we also talk about things like text alerts and notifications and that sort of thing of when, when bills are due. And, and those are the kind of things that you hear people recommend um, rightly for people who may be struggling to pay their bills. But you speak with people who may be suffering from acute ADHD or things like that, and they, they set up those, those notifications and that sort of thing, and they get it and go, oh, I need to pay. I should go and yeah. sit down and pay that bill. Yeah. And then two seconds later, it's gone. Happen. Right. Yeah. And with with auto pay, you're kind of taking uh, you're taking yourself out of the equation and uh, yeah. and helping yourself out a little bit. Oh, that's so that's good. Great. OK, thank you so much, Matt. There's so much more to understand about it, but I feel like we chipped away getting to like not fear it completely appreciate that it's important and have a few more tools to do something about it yes thank you matt and and i'm just going to throw out that it is definitely worth a follow on twitter for matt's twitter handle where he'll kind of update us with data and reports and tips and tricks and all that stuff so definitely give matt a follow on twitter in the next few months that's right Um, this is this is december 2022 so yes we'll put it all in the show notes so people can follow you um and on our on the transcripts on our website awesome yeah this this was a lot of fun thanks for having me Do you have any dumb questions about investing or finance? Ask us on our website, womenontheverge.com. If your partner is making you ask for money, giving you an allowance, or not letting you know about family income, this could be financial abuse. Learn more at thehotline.org or call 1-800-799-SAFE. This episode was edited by our co-producer, Kelly West, and our music is by Bad Bad Hats and Devmo. I know the first thing you notice is that I'm covered in gold. The trip at the wrist, it can turn a hot bitch cold. To get what you want in life, girl, you gotta be bold. Now I'm a direct. This podcast contains general information that is not suitable for everyone. The information contained here should not be construed as personalized investment advice. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. There is no guarantee that the views and opinions expressed in this podcast will come to pass. Investing in the stock market involves gains and losses and may not be suitable for all investors. Information presented herein is subject to change without notice and should not be considered as a solicitation to buy or sell any security.